for Nadar. Let's get into it. The podcast that dives into the past, present, and future of Nadar. This is where we will hear stories of how the organization came to be, tips for better representation, and a behind-the-scenes look of Nadar. Now with your hosts, Eva Sermon and Jay Shea Guest. I am Carletta Griffin, inviting you. Let's get into it. Welcome to another edition of Nader. Let's get into it. We have an exciting uh, podcast uh, for you today and a chance to sit down with today's guest when we were in Puerto Rico. And uh, what a way to get some brownie points as a husband. If I'm not mistaken, this gentleman, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he um, used uh, the Nader conference and uh, to kind of celebrate anniversary. And uh, <laughs> I think he scored. Uh, <laughs> for sure but we uh we're excited to have him here with us today uh because in in all about and if you hadn't get a chance go back and listen to the uh, puerto rico uh podcast that was really really good for us to sit down with people who had made the trip uh to a nader conference for the first time and it was good to hear perspectives and and from people who had just joined nader from people who were already members for years had never come to a conference puerto rico was the great a great backdrop for that and um can't thank uh, our board and all of the committee people who put that together that we got a chance to meet new people especially today's guest and who better to thank uh in person than uh miss eva sermon who's kind of the uh i'd say she's the drill sergeant when it comes to these uh conferences uh, nobody keeps us in line better welcome eva how are you hey i'm good happy new year Happy New Year to you! Uh, we got an exciting t- show today. It's it's I, I, I've been excited to when he decided to come on the show. I knew we were in for a treat because not only did our conversation um, talk about his uh, time with Nader, the conference, his first time to come, but it morphed into some things that we got to know about him, and I got a chance to kind of introduce him to some people that hopefully will get him more involved in in some of the things that that we do at Nader. Uh, So today's going to be a great, great discussion. So Eva, uh, with that, uh, just take it away. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. So without further ado, we have Dave Wright with QuickAid with us today. And I want to just kind of like take a big jump back to 2011, because I think the first time I met you in person, we were both taking the EDP and A exam. That's correct. That was in, if I recall, St. Louis. Yep. Um, it was, two, was it 2000? I was thinking it was 2010, but I think you're right. It was 2011. Yeah, and, 2011. Um, I think because it sticks out because they, they, it took them a whole like year and a half to finalize the regs after the demonstration became, project. Yeah. 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 Yep. So yeah, 2011. So yeah, that's, uh, been at it for shoot coming up on 13 years. It's been quite a ride. Um, and yeah, I, I that was, <laughs> that was, done out of necessity when we I first bought QuickAid kind of going back to 2009 I think was the year that I bought it and it was really a very small business at the time I think um my predecessor the founder of our company had 40 clients at the time um oh, wow. so yeah cool. it was tiny and she kind of did it part time from her you know um spare bedroom of her condo here in Florida and um but she didn't really impress upon me the importance of getting direct fee withholding kind of a big deal but because it was so small when she started it she knew all of her clients very very well and she only dealt with um hiv aids clients which is why quick aid was named quick aid because of the aid and aids so it's a little fun fact and she wow. wanted it to be kind of a subtle recognition of that focus of her business and um a- anyway so she knew her clients very very well and so when they got paid, they would pay her and there was never any issue. They would go to lunch and they were friends and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, anyway, when I acquired the business from her, the assets of the business, essentially the cases, um, I didn't realize how important the fee withholding was. I didn't have those same relationships with her clients. And so when I called them and said, hey, by the way, we got your case approved and you owe us, owe us I think at the time it was 5300 or 4900 I forget what it was. I think it was 5300 if it was a maximum fee. That was a big deal for our company because at the time we probably only had one hearing a month or something like that. Right. So I would call, 
you call them and they, you know, all of a sudden their phone's out of service and that sort of thing. So I was like, I got to take this exam <laughs> to get this fee withholding done. And so that's when I flew to St. Louis and took the exam. And my brother, who's my business partner, he took the exam on the same day. I think he took it in Washington, either in DC or in, I think in Baltimore. Um, and we didn't want to travel together because we wanted to make sure that, you know, one of us passed the exam that day <laughs> right. if there's any logistical issues or operational issues or whatever. So, but yeah, that's kind of when we started was, you know, way back in, you know, I think of it as 2009 was when I kind of acquired the assets, but I didn't really get involved until after I got my EDPNA um, exam passed. Um, and then I kind of became a full-time um, owner operator, if you will, from about 2011 onwards. So it's been a, uh, it's been quite a run. Wow. Okay. So first of all, I have a question about, you know, your previous employment before making this change, what were you doing and how did you get connected with this lady to be like, let me buy you out? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so it goes back kind of long, I guess, you know, it's one of those, how far back do you want to go? But I grew up in Michigan and my dad was an entrepreneur and he had a plastics manufacturing business. And I kind of always thought that, you know, one day I'm going to run my own company. And um, my parents had since moved to Florida. And so the idea of running that company was kind of off the table. I didn't want to move back to Michigan um, for a variety of reasons. And, um, but I always kind of in the back of my head, I wanted to run my, my own company. I didn't know what that company would be, but I wanted to be in charge of something kind of thing. And so, but then I went off to, I went to undergraduate at Princeton University and played football there um, for four years. And, and then after graduating, I had all these other opportunities that were not run your own business kind of opportunities that were like, hey, actually go get a job and make some money kind of opportunities. Right. So I pursued those. I worked for a company called, um, at the time it was called Anderson Consulting. Now it's called Accenture. Um, they do software development for major corporations. Basically, it's a multinational and publicly traded company. And so I did that for about four years. And then, that, then I realized I like software. I like technology, but I don't want to make my life all about software and technology. So I applied to business school. And got accepted to Harvard Business School and went there and got my MBA from Harvard. And during that time, I took some classes at Harvard Law School and kind of got familiar with the law, but I never graduated with a law degree. But it kind of planted a seed in me, I think, at that time to be intrigued with you know legal matters, if you will, generally. But ultimately, I graduated with my MBA and you know went into business and eventually was um, was what do you call it hired, I guess. Um, tapped to become the CEO of a company called Indian Motorcycle, which is a motorcycle manufacturing business. And so I kind of, in my mind, kind of somewhat achieved my goal where I was running a company, but I was not the owner of the company. I had an ownership interest in the company. And I ran that company for several years. And eventually they wanted me to move to Minneapolis. And we live in Florida. My whole family's in Florida. I moved to Florida to be near my family. And um, so I had that moment moment with my wife of like, okay, well, what's next? You know, if you're not going to move to Minneapolis and continue to run Indian Motorcycle Company, then what are you going to do? And I said, to be honest with you, her name's Hannah, you guys met. I said, Hannah, all I really want to do is go back to what I started out <laughs> wanting to do before I went to Princeton and went to business school and all that kind of stuff. I want to just run a company and I'd prefer it was a company that was local. So I didn't have to get on an airplane, which I had become very accustomed to. Um, and it was kind of cool when you're in your 20s, when you're traveling and you're flying around and all that kind of stuff, going to different client engagements and that sort of thing. But when you're when you're kind of in your 30s and you have now four kids, which we had at the time, um, then it's not as cool to get on an airplane. And I just wanted to find a business that basically that I could control, that I could run, that I could be in charge of, that uh, the success or failure of that business would be attributable at least to, to a you know, a large degree to me. Um, and I said to my wife, I don't really honestly care what industry it is. I just want it to be local and I want it to be something that I can own and I can buy um, and own hundred percent of. And so that started like a process of essentially looking for a business to buy that would be that satisfied that basic criteria. You know, I, I said to her, I wanted to, I want to coach football. I want to coach soccer. I want to be involved. I don't want to be, you know, and, um, and I, there, therefore, you know, the importance of it being a local business was kind of a primary uh, criteria. And so I met with a few business brokers and one of them called me, his name's Ray. And he called me, Hey Dave, I have this lady who's interested in selling her company and um, it's in social security disability and it's in St. Petersburg and um, it's a small business. And um, I said, yeah, I'd love to you know meet with her and, you know, have lunch or whatever. And 
you know, thankfully for me at that point in my life, I had never even heard of the term social security disability. Like I, you know, thankfully again, like nobody in my family had, you know, any exposure to social security disability. I didn't have any friends who were on social security disability. They didn't know of it. Um, I thought of social security as being retirement. Um, and, but I did some research prior to making her an offer and we had a couple lunch, you know, meetings and, um, eventually I made her an offer that was, you know, I didn't know enough about the business, so I didn't want to overpay. So I made her an <laughs> offer that was, you know, uh, essentially what I thought was a good deal in terms of the, the risk that I was assuming because I wasn't really familiar with social security disability and I had done some due diligence, but it was modest. And anyway, we came to an agreement. She's also from Michigan and who had lived, she lived in Florida and she still lives in Florida and we're still good friends, but she, um, I think she liked the fact that I was from Michigan and she was like, you know, I met with a bunch of people and I want to, you know, I want Dave to take over because I think he'll do a good job with these cases. And um, so that's kind of how it all started. And it was funny because we, I met with her to quote unquote, pick up all the assets of the business. And she lived in a condo and I go to her condo, which I thought I had not been to her condo before I thought was going to be an office building or an office space. And it was like, you know, classic Florida condo where you type in the number and the gate opens and you go in there and she had been running the company out of her spare bedroom. Um, and so when I, you know, quote unquote, bought the business, it was literally in a milk crate and it was 40 cases of one milk crate. And then the other milk crate was a crappy old fax machine, like a thermal paper fax machine and like a, a computer that kind of fit on top of the fax machine. So those two things, I put in my trunk and drove home and called my wife and I'm like, Hey, I bought my own company. And she's like, <laughs> it was one of those like, Oh my God, I did it. And Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? You know? Um, and anyways, that's kind of how it started. It was very, very, you know, humble beginnings for sure. And, you know, but we started with, you know, I hired one employee. My first employee that I hired was someone who worked at Bender and Bender and in Tampa because they had a big operation in Tampa at the time. And um, so I learned a lot from her and I, and Karen stayed on and um, you know, the founder for about a year. So she'd come to work every day for an hour or two and kind of help me, you know, learn the ropes, so to speak. And then we were, you know, when I, when I thought about whether I wanted to do it or not, it was, you know, something that I didn't enter into lightly. If you, even though it was, I make fun of it now that it was like, Oh my God, it was 40 cases and it was fit, fit in a milk crate. But I, thought about the industry and I thought about, um, I, I viewed it as a technology business waiting to happen. Basically I looked at her, I asked Karen, like, how do you know what cases to work on and what you need to do in the claim development process on any given day? And her answer was, well, they're all in manila, manila folders. And I have a sticky note on the inside left of the middle manila folder. And it has a date of when I have to do something. And what I have to do on that date. And so every morning she'd wake up and look at her manila folders and like, Oh, I don't have to do anything on that one. And the next one, Oh, I don't have to do anything on that one. It kind of went through. That was her kind of daily routine. Wow. She'd find one that was like, Oh, I have to call to get medical records on this one. And so she, that's what she would do for that day or whatever. So it was very, um, very, very simple process, but I looked at it and I thought, you know, maybe you can apply technology and make the make the process more streamlined. And certainly there's room for improvement from manila folders and sticky notes. And um, so anyway, that's kind of, I viewed it as maybe I can apply some of what I learned in my time at Accenture, where we did software development. Um, and I learned a lot about technology and I could apply it to this um, particular industry. And I also liked it because it's a marketing business. It's like, you know, it's, you know, you have to find a way to get clients. And I had some experience with that with Indian Motorcycle because it's a consumer brand ultimately. Um, and so I knew a little bit about digital marketing and, you know, various matters related to marketing and advertising. And so I thought, well, it's a technology business and this advertising business, but the clincher was, and this gets kind of personal, but, you know, I'm going to throw it out there, but I grew up in a Christian household and I was always taught to help people and do what you can to help people and to make a difference in the world in a positive manner. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, quick aid is an opportunity to not only kind of satisfy my need and my desire and the expectation associated with, you know, going to Princeton and getting Harvard MBA and you got to go take over the world kind of thing. I could build a nice business, but also do it in a manner that really helps people in a tangible way. Um, and so kind of, those were the things that I thought about. I thought about marketing. I thought about technology. I thought about, this is a real way to help people that need help. And, um, anyway, so that's kind of how it all started, so to speak, you know, back, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. 
And, you know, all those things have, I think, kind of come true, meaning those things that the reasons I did it were valid. Um, and I would say even reinforced over the years, like it is a technology business, it is a marketing business, and we do help people um, right. in a very tangible way. And, you know, we've, um, you know, since that time, I've come to realize that, you know, I, I kind of think of it as like, you know, when you buy a new car, you don't notice that someone has that same car, you know, and, and then you buy it you're like, oh my God, there's another Jeep. There's another one. There's another, like, it's, you know, I kind of feel like that with social security disability. Now that I'm in the business, I understand. And when I talk to people, it's like, oh, my uncle was on social security disability or my dad was on social security disability. Or in my case, my sister be, who worked at our company became, um, you know, she was approved for social security disability. Um, and so, and that kind of really resonated with me. It's like there, my sister, Jill, who sub- subsequently has passed away, she, um, we filed for her and it became really personal. It was like, right. these are real people that, you know, that need help. And I tell my team all the time, like, even though you might not meet somebody in person, because our business has evolved from sitting down in front of people and working. And a lot of that was expedited or hastened by the, by the pandemic, but um, just because you don't sit down and talk to them in person doesn't mean that they're not someone's friend or neighbor or loved one or husband or wife or mother or daughter or sister um, and treat them and do what you can to help them as if they were the person in your life who you cared most about. Don't cut corners. Don't um, say, oh, it's just a number and it's just a person who lives in you know, St. Louis, Missouri or Des Moines, Iowa or whatever the case may be. It's someone's best friend and treat them with respect and do everything you can to help them. Um, anyway, so that's kind of how we think about things and how I think about things. But no, I think that the, the backstory on, um, you know, your personal journey to becoming an entrepreneur and a business owner and all of that is is, is something that a lot of people can probably relate to. Um, and I mean, yeah. I'm thinking of like Nader members that I've known for a long time. Yeah. That, um, don't have the exact story, but similar enough, right? There's something, I think you're either born with an entrepreneurial spirit or you're not. Mm-hmm. And when you are, it's it starts before you're even in college, right? Like you're yeah. already thinking like, what am I going to do? I don't know, but I do know that the grind is going to be for me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the plan. Um, yep. Yep. I agree. So, for sure. so when you're tw- to your point, when you're 22, you're fresh out of um, undergrad and you get a great job, you know, and yeah. like sending you all over the country. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you feel like, um, oh, this is cool. But like, I don't know, the the ability to sustain that, um, I think for for somebody who had that entrepreneurial spirit is yeah hard, right? Yeah, it's funny. I, I always look back at the educational component of it. I'm like, did I, do you really need to go to, go to college? Do you really need to, you know, to to run a business? I think there are, you know, skills and you know, whatever aptitude, or like you said, pre, you know, pre-existing conditions, if you will, that, um, allow you to be either successful or not successful or, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't look and say, wow, I learned so much at college that I apply every day, you know, um, or I learned so much at business school or, you know, that I apply every day. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think those things help for sure. And I think a lot of it is the relationships that you develop in those, with those experiences. And, um, you know, we have one outside investor who's a buddy of mine who I played football with at college and, you know, he's a good friend and a minority shareholder in our company. And, you know, so those kinds of relationships are important for sure over over time. Yeah. I think that for me, one of the big takeaways I had from undergrad was that I, I, I didn't leave feeling like, um, what I had learned and what I knew internally in terms mm-hmm. of gross information was mm-hmm. what was going to help me. It was the people that I met and the network that I created. Sure. Right? And like yep. those people are the people that I contacted and was like, Hey, I'm looking for a job. Where are you working? Do you, do you, mm-hmm. is your company hire? You know? So yeah. I think that the info helps for sure. Especially sometimes when you're like doing something mundane, like reviewing a contract for instance, right? <laughs> yep. like, Oh, I've seen this before, you know, yep, um, yep. but, but I think it's, you know, the, the college experience and the network and the people that you, that you leave knowing. And now, you know, you're in business with sort of, right. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, I wouldn't change the experience <laughs> for anything. It's just that oh. I feel like, you know, you continue to learn every day and you, I kind of, 
if you would ask me when I was 18, like, oh, you graduate college and if you get a, you know, an advanced degree, then you really know everything. I, I feel like that's, that's <laughs> certainly pro- proven <laughs> to not be the case. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have a friend who is a dermatologist and he'll, he, you know, of course he went to undergrad, we went to undergrad together. He moved on to, um, you know, do his, um, medical school and then residency and in residency, you know, he gets his first page as a doctor Mm -hmm. shows up and he's like looking at the nurse who's worked there for 35 years. And he's like, what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) Now what? Like, you know, they learn that part can't be underestimated. Yeah, absolutely. On the job training for sure is huge. Yeah. Okay. So you, you bought the company in 2009, you tested in 2011. A lot has happened since then. Um, let's let's jump forward to today. Yep. And tell us about what the company looks like today, and then we'll go back and talk about the middle part. Okay, that sounds good. So yeah, today we are based in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is where we have been the whole time. Um, we actually just moved into some nice new office space that was built out for us, so we're super excited about that. We moved in April of 2022, um, nice. and we have over 100 employees at this point, um, and you know we have you know we're I guess a top 20 firm as a, as you know, um, as reported by social security and we continue to grow and we continue to do things. And I think a manner that's, um, you know, um, that I'm proud of personally, we do, we make great use of technology. I would say from the very, very beginning, we actually use a software program. When I first bought the company, I looked around and I was like, well, the sticky note thing is not going to work. So what's the alternative to that? And there's obviously things like Excel and outlook and, but I was thinking more like case management software. And so we used um, Crocodile software to begin with, and it was good for what it was. Like we, it was, we loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, It allowed us to kind of move from a super archaic way to do it to being more of a digital operation and, you know, got to know Leonard and think very highly of what he's done and, but eventually we kind of felt like we needed to do it ourselves. You know, we wanted to build our own software. So I think it was about eight, nine years ago. So like 2013, 2014, we um, hired a technologist who basically said, you know, I can build you a web-based, you know, case management software system. Um, And so that decision to do that was important in our development because it kind of gave us more control over how we wanted our operation to run. And so we have a full-time technology and software development team in-house, um, and they, you know, make changes to our software on a daily basis. We just pushed a new update to our software this morning, in fact. Um, and that has allowed us to really, what I think of as um, deliver deliver service that as if the person was standing in front of us, but they're not. We're going to deliver, and in fact, it makes it harder when they're not in front of you. You have to be better at your game. Cause I think being in person with somebody, you know, kind of the old way that we used to do it, we would have people walk in and we would sit down, they would sit in front of my desk and we'd fill out forms together. And, um, you know, it, it kind of like, I don't know, forgive some operational inefficiencies because they're there in front of you and you oh, we can, oh yeah, you're right. We got to do that. Oh yeah. That's, you know, that sort of thing where if it's, um, somebody who's not in front of you, who might not even be in the same state as you, then you better answer the dang phone you better know what you're talking about. You better have your stuff dialed in or else it's going to go off the rails. And so anyway, we built software from the beginning as kind of the backbone of our business. And it's not only case management software. It's I think of it as like workflow management. It helps individual employees understand what they need to do, how they need to do it, and when they need to do it. You know, So it's like when you come in on a given day and you're on our, let's say, our client service team, our software will tell you, here are the 57 things you need to knock out today. And then it also measures them against, you know, how well they did um, because we like to uh, reward strong performance. You know, we like people to have bonuses and have incentives to provide great service to our clients. So our software kind of is a combination. I think of it as like case management system, I think is what most people would call it. I think of it more as like a workflow management system. It helps us understand what work needs to get done for things to stay on track. So I would say like in the, where we are now, I would say we have some pretty good software that helps us run our business. Um, we have an exceptional team. We have an amazing, not only technology team, we have a great marketing team. We have our supervisors of all of our departments are like, we've never been in better shape in that regard. It used to be kind of like, a, you know, kind of bouncing back to the early days. It was a 
the all hands on deck at all times and everybody kind of knew how to do a little bit of everything. So like, for example, I would do intake, you know, in person with, you know, someone and then, but then you finish that up and I would answer a bunch of client service calls that were not answered because I was doing that, you know, and then, oh, we have a hearing next week. We got to write the brief. So I'd write the brief. And, and then there were like, call it, you know, three, four, five of us that were like that. Like we all, you know, we had, um, everybody did a little bit of everything. Everybody did a little bit of everything. And everybody was an EDPNA. We had a couple of attorneys, full-time W2 employees who were attorneys, but everybody could do the whole range of the job. Um, And so that was kind of like, and then we, I think it was like, what do you call cell um, mutation or whatever, where over time it was like, okay, you're going to be the one who writes the briefs. You're going to be the one who does the intake. You're going to be the one who does the client service. You're going to be the one who does the onboarding of new claims. You're going to be the one who, you know, you know, so on down the line um, orders medical records, for example. And then, so now we have basically each of those departments within our business that specializes in that specific area um, to make sure that claims flow smoothly kind of from one, um, I kind of think of it as like touch point or one gating, you know, um, one process to the next to make sure that everything gets handled properly. So we have an awesome team of supervisors who run, for example, our client service team. We have 25 people on our client service team. We measure everything from, you know, calls that call answered percentages to, you know, which is the most important. We have about a 95% call answered percentage during normal business hours. And we look at that data every single day. We do the same thing with our intake team. We measure um, our intake team based on, you know, how often, you know, what percentage of time they answer the phone. Um, and it's also kind of in the 95% range. So we're proud of those statistics. It's hard to get to 100% for, I guess, semi-obvious reasons, but we get pretty dang close to it every day. Um, so we're proud of that. And anyway, we yeah, we have a pretty good operation. We have, um, you know, kind of bouncing back to the old days, what we would do was we would, um, when we had a, when we had a client, so we kind of had a, at the very beginning, I thought we had to, if we wanted to expand, we had to expand by opening additional retail um, locations. Cause that uh-huh. was my experience at the very beginning was people would walk in and you would provide great service, but in person. Um, and so we opened an office um, to test that thesis. We opened an office in Clearwater, Florida. We opened an office in Tampa, Florida. We opened another office in St. Petersburg, Florida. So we had four offices, but kind of in conjunction with that, we were doing national advertising and we kind of, you know, we're trying to figure out whether trying to answer the question, like, can we provide great service to people who are not in one of our retail locations? And, and so what, after kind of call it a three-year period of that kind of test, um, we came to the realization that, you know, if you provide great service, you can provide great service to someone who's in Denver, Colorado. Um, By the way, can't wait for the, the upcoming conference. And I had to, say Denver at some point. So anyway, but no, so you could, you could provide great service to somebody in Denver if you have your operation dialed in, you know, and, um, and you can market to them and you can, you know, you can provide great service to them. And so basically the experiment played out such that we realized the cost associated with having, you know, retail operations was not, um, you know, didn't, uh, like compare favorably to the idea of advertising nationally and providing great service telephonically and via text and via email and those well, sorts of things. I think to your point, um, when you when you talk about this industry being a technology industry, right? Sort yeah. of. Um, yep. I think that's probably um, one of the reasons why, because in your situation, you sort of tested the theory and then realized in the middle of it, like, nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the technology piece, I think is probably what spun it back around for you, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like now yeah. we can do this yeah. and we can market nationally. Yeah. And, and so when you, um, when you're in control, right. In your case, you guys built a proprietary software, right? So yeah. you're in control of what that, the nuts and bolts of that software look like. And then you can say, hey, we need to tweak this because yep. XYZ doesn't yeah. want to work us anymore, right? Yeah, yep, um, exactly. So we interesting do- way to sort of like go about the <laughs> operations piece, but it sounds like it's really panned out. Yeah, I would say it's it's gone well. Um, you know, I think I, I look back at my kind of 
10-year business plan that I did, you know, it wasn't a super detailed thing, but it was like, you know, I look back and laugh and like, oh my God, we're not nowhere near where we <laughs> where I thought we would be. And there's been a lot of headwinds in the industry, I think, during that period of time. Obviously, the fee cap thing has been, you know, a thorn in our side and a impediment to growth. Um, you know, system-wide win rates has obviously been another kind of headwind, I think, of. Um, you know, we've uh but I think through it all, you know, we I feel good about what we've been able to accomplish and we do it, we work hard every day and we come in, you know, guns blazing and trying to do everything we can to help our clients and to build a great business. And, you know, we're I think of it as like, oh wow, we're like 10 years into this thing or you know, 12 and a half years or whatever it is. Um, and but I feel like we're still just getting started. Like I feel like there's yeah. so much more that we want to get done and so much more that we want to do. Um, and you know, to quote my dad, I'm cursed with ambition. You know, so he's like, why don't you just, that's good enough. Like, why, you know, you haven't gone fishing and golfing and forever. And I'm like, I know I'm having fun building a business. Leave me alone. No, <laughs> but right, right. no, it's, uh, I, I am having fun and our team is awesome. I love our team. And, um, you know, I think we feel good about how we deliver the service that we deliver to our clients. And, you know, we've been fortunate to, you know, um, have, we've built like a proprietary representative network. So when we have, you know, back in the day when we, when we kind of had every all hands on deck doing everything and we started getting some of these clients that were in California and that were in Portland and that were in, you know, Colorado. And we had a map in our office, like a big laminated map. We put a pin every time we get a client in a different state and we're like, all right, let's make it a goal to get a client in each of the 50 States. I still have that um, map on my wall. And eventually we got to the point like, Oh my God, we got, clients in each of the 50 states, but we knew that there was going to be a wave of hearings coming from those clients. And we knew that we had to do the right thing by those clients because they hired us to get a job done professionally. And that's what we agreed to do. And so what I would do is I would send our attorney on a plane to California, or I would send our EDPNA on a plane to Detroit. And then I remember we got to the point where it was like, um, Tasha came to my office. She's like, Dave, I was, I went from uh, you know, I forget the exact locations, but Detroit to Chicago to Los Angeles to San Francisco to Atlanta and then back. And this isn't really cool. <laughs> like this isn't really yeah. sustainable. Right. And she had a she had a, a, a very young um, child at the time, like a one year old or a two year old, and she's like, I I can't do this. I can't. So we started thinking about ways to how do we cover you know do our job for our clients without having to put people on the airplanes. Obviously that is very expensive to do as well. Um, it's not like when we get paid, we get, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and airfare is de minimis. It's actually a meaningful um, cost that we had to incur. So we kind of looked at different um, options and opportunities for developing a, a rep network. And we kind of looked at what was out there and we tried a couple different service providers and, you know, we're kind of, I guess, gluttons for punishment. And we were like, well, let's just do it ourselves. <laughs> so we just built our rep network and, you know, my brother and I would on weekends go to my home office and we would look people up like, okay, we have hearings coming up in Dallas. Um, let's look up the best disability representatives in, da in Dallas. We would use the, the Nader um, directory and, um, and to find the people who we thought were, were the best. And, um, and so we slowly over time built that network and it probably got up to about 250, um, attorneys and non-attorney reps and many of whom are Nader members. And we've enjoyed that relationship and we look forward to continuing that relationship and expanding it even. Um, and then, you know, then the, the pandemic kind of put a little bit of a, what do you call it? Like just, uh, you know, it just, changed the whole nature of our industry right. um, in terms of the in-person hearings versus, you know, other modalities. Um, and so we kind of have, we still have our rep network, but for example, we have someone in Hawaii who can cover hearings that are in Des Moines, Iowa, or in Portland, Maine, or, you know, because it's telephonic or video. And so, I, you know, one of the questions, you know, is, you know, what's going to happen in the future. We don't have a better crystal ball than anybody else, but I think we'll be prepared under any scenario to continue to provide great service to our clients. Um, and it's been, I would say, super beneficial for us to have that direct relationship with those attorneys and non-attorney reps where they can log into our software, they can see how we've developed the claim. You know, there's kind of no middleman in between that relationship, um, which has been super beneficial for us uh, because it allows us to evaluate 
attorneys and non-attorney reps, we look at their win rates. We look at their, what we call our, their compliance rate. Like, do they call the client ahead of, ahead of time? Do they, um, do they uh, provide a post-hearing report like they're required to contractually in a timely manner? Um, and if they don't, then we, you know, we're able to identify those weaknesses and, and essentially not assign additional work to them. Um, and for the people who do a great job for us, then, you know, we continue to try to, you know, um, send work their way because they do a great job. And, you know, um, we're super proud of, you know, the people that we work with and the network that we've been able to develop. And it's a huge, hugely, hugely important part of our business is because ultimately, you know, that's where claims are won oftentimes. So, you know, we do all the claim development here centrally and then, then the piece that is related to the hearing, we work with the best, what we think is the best in the business to get that, to get the claim across the finish line, basically. Um, so anyway. Yeah, that's, I think that, that that was probably a very smart strategy when you look at just the cost. I mean, just the bottom line, yeah. the whole yeah. operation yeah. And, and social securities um, sort of half policy on reimbursing and <laughs> exactly. you have to jump through to even get yeah $47 yeah, exactly. yeah we we honestly we gave up on it it was just so um administratively burdensome that it was literally not worth the pursuit <laughs> of those funds and we might revisit that at some point but it was just like you kidding me like really um so we just we don't even do it um yeah. but Okay, so so we we had the we got the story about the beginnings, and then now we know where you are. So in the middle, obviously, there were growing pains, I'm sure, and yep. you pointed some of those out already. Just you know, testing the theory of brick and mortar and trying to determine if that made sense. And so you you alluded to the fact that 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 happened for a period of about three years, where you had these other storefronts. Um, and then when did you decide that like no? Yeah, I think it was probably not as like an a a an decision like okay, we're officially not doing that anymore. I think it was more of a you know because there's obviously leases involved and there's employees involved, and so um, like our office in Clearwater, I think like we signed a three year lease and the three year lease was up, and it was kind of like, well, do we want to do it anymore? We're like, ah, no, let's not. Um, And you know, obviously. you know, managing multiple sites and multiple employees. And it, it was just complicated from an operational perspective because, you know, we'd only have one or two people working at those satellite offices. And if one of them, if you have one and they call in sick, then it's like, do I go down there and turn the sign over to say close for the day or what, you know, all those kind of those things. It just became um, abundantly clear that the pain factor associated with that service model for us you know, was too great relative to the alternative. So I think we kind of over time phased it out basically and didn't renew leases. And um, and it was helpful because when we got our, those employees who were kind of out in those offices and brought them back to our headquarters office and they were great employees. And um, it felt more like, a, I don't know, for lack of better terms, like the esprit de corps was there when everybody was in the same office. Um, and 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 also it just allowed people to be more efficient to be doing things throughout the day. Whereas if you're at our Clearwater office and you're, you know, they would still be doing things, but it was, you know, you're essentially waiting for clients to come in to the office. And if that didn't happen, like they'd send me a daily report, like, oh, I got one new client today. Oh, that's great. You know, um, you or I got another six hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And who knows, you know? Um, but anyway, so I think it was a lot better for us from a, you know, we're all on the same page. We kind of the the vision, if you will, of how we're going to move forward was kind of crystallized in our mind and in our team, in my mind and our team's mind, um, um, that we want to go bring our, you know, take our business nationally and not do retail operations. And I think everybody who was, you know, familiar with that decision knew that it was the right decision for us, and they knew that our technology would be able to support it, and our team would be able to support it, and we could deliver. I think better service to someone who's not there. And obviously all of our clients, not all of them, but a lot of our clients have difficulties, you know, um, with ambulation and transportation. And so even when there were people who were like, let's say a mile away from our office, they would want our service to be delivered to them telephonically anyway, or via mail or via email, because like, I don't have a car or, 
you know, I can't walk or those are real limitations that I hadn't really fully thought through when I was kind of evaluating that. When I was trying to answer the question, could we provide great service to, you know, anyone, no matter where they are geographically, I didn't really think about those real life factors at the very beginning. And then I came to the conclusion that like in half of the cases, at least they want you to be accessible without them coming to your office. And um, anyway, so we're kind of, I would say kind of in a way got lucky in that regard that, you know, the business model lent, lent itself, you know, people liked it. Like they were, you know, they yeah. responded well it kind to of it. was a natural progression into that after thinking of those factors. I mean, and really from the very beginning, I, th- I started in this industry at the same, basically the same time as you, yeah. it was pretty obvious that if you could, if you could get a hold of a client and they had at least one alternative phone number, right? Mm-hmm. That was like way better than trying yeah. to be like, can you meet me here on this? <laughs> exactly. Time? You know, it's just like, yep. okay, I'm, he didn't answer. I'm going to call Uncle, Uncle Sam, you know? Yep, yep. Uncle Sam. Oh yeah, he's here, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, I can yes. see that would be a quick decision to be like. Yeah, yeah. And it's been good. And I think, like I said, I think we do a good job and I'm proud of the way we do it. And you know, are we perfect? Absolutely not. Do we try to get better? Yes, absolutely. Every day. And, um, you know, but anyway, so we're, I'm happy with the way things have progressed and, you know, we think we're going to be in a position to continue to grow and to do hopefully good things within our industry. And, um, you know, we've kind of, uh, you know, we've, we launched a a health insurance agency recently so that we kind of do the in-house Medicare piece of it as well. Um, and so we're licensed in 50 states. And so when our clients get approved for social security disability, then they go to our plan works subsidiary and they're, um, you know, they help them select a Medicare plan that works for them. And so that's been going real well. And so, yeah, we're excited about, it's funny, like I didn't know anything about social security disability. Now it's like, oh my God, I have, it's, this is awesome. I'm so feel so fortunate and blessed that I stumbled upon it, you know, and, um, and have dedicated a big part of my life to it. And, um, and look forward to continuing to see what the future holds and, you know, um, and I don't know what that is. Hopefully some of these tailwinds that we've experienced from an industry perspective will convert to headwinds. Um, obviously social security is always going to be difficult to some degree. And, um, but you know, anyway, I think the, uh, the future is bright. Yeah, I think so too. And one of the things I wanted to circle back on with you before we move on, um, is, it, so uh, obviously a lot of people got into this industry by way of a family connection or a family business. And so you've said a couple of times, you know, my sister who used to work for me or my brother yeah. and partner. So, so who is working with you now and what are their roles? So my brother, Bill is older by one year and he, he actually, I, I kind of bought quick aid. Um, it was very modest when I say bought quick aid, it was like, you know, it was not a, you know, it was like not like a buying a big company. It was basically buying a few cases kind of thing. Um, but Bill joined the company um, before I did full time. Um, he had a background in technology and operations. He worked at a company called Nielsen Media Research, um, which is based here in in St. Pete, kind of an advertising based business. And um, I told him about Quick Aid, and he's like, "Oh, that'd be so much fun." And we, he and I, had always talked about going into business together, even back to when we were little kids. And we're like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the, you know, the opportunity. And so um, we went to dinner one night and I was like, I don't, you know, he was kind of, he had been at Nielsen for, I think about 10 years. And um, he was like, I'm thinking about doing something different. And I said, well, you'd be welcome to come work at Quick Aid. It's tiny. And, you know, we got like two employees, but, you know, don't feel obligated. But if you wanted to, you know, it's at 695 Central Avenue. And the next day he texted me. And he's like, how do I get in? And it was, and I look at my clock, it was 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, what do you, what do you get in where? He's like, I'm at the office. Let's get to work. <laughs> so that was, that was awesome. And uh, so, and he's been the first guy to work ever, ever since then. That was, he actually had his 12th anniversary. It was yesterday. 12th, we call it quick anniversary. So he's been here every day, super reliable. And he's, um, he's the appointed rep on all of our cases at quick aid. And then he also spearheaded the effort to launch our health insurance subsidiary called PlanWorks, which he's done a fantastic job with. And so he's across the hall from me right now, we're in the same office building and he's, you know, 
I could see him if I leaned over a little bit further, but so here he's here every day um, and love working with him. He's super just awesome in every regard. We've never had any fights or disputes or issues. It's just been smooth sailing and we both kind of do our thing. And, um, you know, from the beginning, he was kind of, we decided I would be like the marketing advertising front end of the business and he would be kind of the hearings department operations. So at the beginning, he did a lot of our hearings. He's done, I would guess, you know, 5,000 hearings or something like that over the years. And then we, you know, kind of, um, as we hired people, he didn't, we didn't have the need for him to continue to go to hearings. And so he kind of peeled off and launched the health insurance in his uh, business. Um, and then my sister, Jill was worked here for a long time back in the early days. She actually ran one of our satellite offices, but she had some severe mental health issues that, you know, limited her ability to function in a normal work like manner, if you will. Um, and so we applied for her, which was a, a, um, you know, an emotional decision for our family. And, she was approved um, because the severity of her conditions were real. Um, and so she worked for our company for probably, I would say like two years, but it was a sporadic two years. It was like maybe an SGA here and there kind of thing, but not very much. Um, and, but she had some serious issues that she dealt with and she eventually she passed away. Um, and I think she was 43 at the time, but um, so she's obviously other than in spirit, not involved in our business any longer, but um, and yes, yeah, so that's kind of, I'm trying to think anybody else involved is not really, a, you know, parents stop by and say hi every once in a while, but that's, right. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Did your wife ever get involved? Oh yeah. Shoot. Oh my God. She's going to kill me. <laughs> Hannah, I'm so sorry. So yeah, family, I just think of, yeah. So, um, well, you just, so Hannah, all, you just undone all of the, I just undid it. So you, you, that's the part we're going to have to take out. No, she, we got to go to Puerto Rico all over. Again. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm going to, I'm going to owe, owe her another trip to Puerto Rico, but, um, no. So about, yeah, about a year ago, I would come home and, you know, husband and wife, you talk about things and, you know, and we had a hard time getting somebody to run our intake team. We just had like the worst, um, I don't know, luck, I think, you know, we'd hire somebody and we'd think they were really good and they would do a good job and then they would kind of crap out or they would, you know, um, it was just hard. And it's a super important part of our business is to, is kind of the front end and running an intake team. And we had, you know, 20 people at the time on the intake team and I didn't have anybody to run it. So I was running it. Like I was back in the, you know, running intake and, but I would come home at night and I would kind of complain to Hannah, but I can't believe, you know, we had this guy, Cisco, Cisco left. I can't believe he left. And, um, so she was basically had kind of a hold my beer moment. It was like, I could definitely run the intake team. And I said, I know that you could run it and I would never ask you to do it, but if you want to do it, then I would be 100% on board with that. And so she came in she's like, well, before I run anything, I got to actually <laughs> learn what it is you guys do. Learn what that means. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And way back in the day, she had helped with like, when we, she would go around town and she would do presentations to, um, doctors and hospitals and, um, the AIDS, AIDS service association of Pinellas. And she had kind of her canned presentation that she would do to kind of, you know, try to get clients essentially kind of business development, what we call field marketing. So she knew what, obviously what we did and, but she, with four kids, you know, she was, you know, um, you know, it was time for her. She's like, I, I feel like the timing is good. Our kids are a little bit older and I'd like to get involved. And so that was, a, I think about it, I think it was June of 21 that she said, I want to start on the intake team and be an intake specialist. That's what we call it. So she did that for about three months and she killed it and she liked it. And I was like, wow, she actually likes it. This is cool. And then we eventually, you know, promoted her to become the head of the intake team. And she does an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and, you know, we're, it's just nice to know that there's, you know, in any area of our business where there's someone who's super reliable and super nice and super professional and people, you know, and she certainly checks all those boxes, you know, she does a great job and she's all in and um, she's enjoying it. And I said, if there's ever a point in time where you don't like it, or if we ever, you know, I think it's actually made our relationship better. I thought, you know, you I don't go into those things lightly either. You know, I knew it was kind of a big decision for her and for us and for our company. And, um, but anyway, large, you know, hundred percent attributable to her. She's doing a fantastic job and everything works out well. And she, we come home and there's still times where, you know, I'll come home at whatever seven o'clock and 
she wants to talk about work and I'll just give her the, no, 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 no. We can't talk about, I had a shitty day or whatever, you know, we can't, we can't go there. We can't go there. We can't talk about work, but we do. And, um, and it's great. But anyway, yeah, she's a huge part of the part of the team right now. And she does, like I said, just does a fantastic job. And, um, yeah, she was the one who inspired me to go to Puerto Rico because I'd never been to the Nader conference. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your, your Nader involvement. So when did you join initially? Um, I joined Nader, I think initially probably to be honest with you, it was kind of, I think it was off and on. Like I probably joined in 2011 when I took the exam, um, because I wanted to take, use the study materials to prepare for the exam. And I think if, if memory serves correctly, I think you had to be a member to do that. So I think it was a member then, but I think over the years, we've always had someone be a member. So like, for example, we would have one of our attorneys would be the member, you know, and I think right now we might have three or four members of Nader that are, you know, that work at our company, including myself. Um, but so over the years, I would, you know, we always had a Nader, you know, kind of um, a membership within, you know, within our company and usually probably two or three, I would guess on average or the range. Um, and, and I would like, I would send people to the conferences because I felt like I was too busy and too, you know, basically busy fool running around doing stuff. And I couldn't peel away for two or three days. And then Hannah talked me into it last year. Cause it was, it was her birthday. It was March 26th. And I think it was the subsequent weekend or something like that. So we kind of said, Oh, you know, in Tampa, St. Petersburg to San Juan is a pretty easy flight. And she said, oh, let's go down to the, to the Nader conference. And, and I'm so glad I did um, th- that we went and, she encouraged me to do it. And because I met so many people and it was great to see you, Eva, you know, yeah, and, and Shay to meet you. And, and I came, I, I had previously thought of it as like a place where you go to get CLEs and to learn about how to fill in the blank, cross a VE or write a brief or, you know, and so I kind of would basically send people who I thought would benefit more directly from those types, that type of knowledge. Um, and now in hindsight, I look at it, I'm like, basically, Dave, it's not about that. It's about meeting people and getting to know people and learning about how, how other people do things and um, bringing those lessons back. And, you know, I came back from Puerto Rico totally invigorated and excited about, you know, all the people that I had met and um, looking forward to, to Denver. And um, so anyway, I kind of, I, I, I regretted not going to all of them. I should have been going to them all along. And I didn't because I, you know, I just didn't. No, I think the perspective that you just shared is huge because I feel like um, a lot of people new to this industry are probably thinking like, oh, I'll use them to like check my CE boxes to your point, you know, but, but really and truly like the value I think of anything that we put on conference, networking, whatever webinar, it it really is not just the content. I mean, it is sort of the content, but but really it's the connection and just the conversation in the hallway, you know, pays for the whole entire trip. Sometimes somebody gives you a client and you're like, Monday, you know? Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And to meet people like Art Kaufman and the kind of the OGs of the industry, and, you know, all that they've done and paved the way for us to make a living and, you know, to participate in this industry in a manner that is, you know, you can, I think, make a living, you know, it hasn't been super easy and certainly challenging, but they paved the way for us to have that opportunity. So I'm appreciative of, of you know, everyone who's kind of come before us, basically. Yeah. Well, we're so glad you joined us. And then we were in your neck of the woods for the networking weekend. And you guys- yes. You guys were there, and were you driving your boat every day? <laughs> no, I, 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 we have our old office, which we we were at for about ten years, was kind of downtown St. Pete, and right near the waterfront. And so I would, you know, on occasion commute from you know our house, which is about three miles north of downtown, by boat to the office, and that was kind of fun. Um, but in that particular weekend, I didn't. I don't think I took my boat to the conference, but it was uh, it was a fun conference. And, um, you know, we didn't get to participate fully because we had, I think I told you our son had a high school football game on the Friday night, which was a big game. And so we, you know, we're kind of, you know, pulled in both directions, so to speak, but, um, but it was great to see everybody. And yeah. you know, I, I'm really, really looking forward to the conference in Denver. It's going to be great. And hopefully we'll continue to do good things with our industry. I always, you know, look back at, you know, our early days of, you know, 
we didn't have fee withholding and I'd have to drive around town and, you know, try to get, you know, paid for the service that we had provided. And, you know, now, you know, we've come a long way from those days and it's exciting to think about what the future holds. Like what, what's the next 10 years going to be like, it's going to be really interesting and I'm excited and I'd like to, you know, get further involved in Nader. And if there's anything I can do to help, I would do anything for anybody within Nader. If anybody has any questions of me, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and I'd be happy to, you know, share what I know um, at any time with anyone. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, one of the things that is a true, true highlight to fee withholding is you, you mentioned it in the beginning the, the lady that you bought the business from, right? She, she knew these people and she had lunch with these people and she was friends with these people. And it's like, yeah. And, and in that case, you can really only have a caseload of 40. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you got to keep it small because you got to keep your tabs on these people so that you can get paid. Right. That's um, right. Yeah. And so in order to grow, right. In order to have volume, I think that fee withholding is just Essential. essential absolutely yeah. yeah yeah it's been kind of fun over the last few days we get we got a, you know some fees rolling in that are the the new fee cap fees so that's been kind of like oh hey you know um certainly not all of them hit that cap but it's been kind of fun to see that kind of the efforts of the legislative committee in you know coming you know to fruition in that regard so yes absolutely and i'll take a moment to plug that for just a second if you don't mind i think that um, so we, we have the fee issues um, email address now, and this is for any fee that's nine months or older that you are struggling to get your hands on with SSA. Um, you can report that to fee issues at nader.org. Um, and on the back end, Michael and I are um, working those um, at mostly him, but um, keeping our eyes on those and making sure that our contact at um, OCS, Office of Customer Service, knows that these are outstanding and we need to get these paid. But as a caveat to that, you may have seen on the talk list over the last week, some people saying that the new fee cap is not being honored based on huh. language in the previous fee agreement. Like they're not noticing that there's a fee increase um, language in there. And so yeah. they're sending the $6,000 if it's a max fee. Well, we are... We are taking cases that are having those issues as well. So if you have implemented the new fee agreement or you always had a two-tier fee agreement and the escalation language was in there um, and you're having issues getting that max fee, um, you can send those to us as well. So he's um, he's working on those. Um, we've already gotten an email back from OCS saying, absolutely send them to us. That shouldn't be happening if the if the original fee agreement was... Um, correct, then mm -hmm. they should be paying you the max fee. Yeah, it is kind of nuanced language, you know, to have the the proper language without reference to seventy two hundred. Say, you know, at the time of adjudication, if the commissioner has the right to increase it from time to time, and the the highest one will be the operative one or whatever. Right, I can see someone in the payment center missing that, you know, totally, that yeah. clause. It, yeah. You know, from a customer service perspective on our end, it creates a tense point. When you're trying to talk to a client about, well, my fee was increased, right? That's just that's just not a you don't want to have that conversation, right? Yeah, like, already paid, they've already been paid, and it was yeah, like, yeah. Just, We need to get it right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be some. You know, we we kind of laugh internally of like, okay, 2023 is going to be painful process of getting them to you know. But hopefully by the end of the year, if not sooner, hopefully they'll have gotten it dialed in operationally. Yes, and, yes. You know, the kinks um, will be worked out, hopefully. Yeah, um, for sure. But honestly, I have to give kudos to our contact at the Office of Customer Service because they have been killing it. Awesome. Absolutely killing it and helping us. And um, I mean, obviously that's their job, right? We are their yeah. customers, so they, sh they should yeah. be. But, um, yeah. but, you know, for years and years, you you work in this industry and you feel like you're kind of like banging your head against a brick wall a little bit sometimes mm -hmm. in dealing with SSA. I mean, it, it, especially at the local level um, where it just seems like these top down memos don't get sent or they, mm -hmm. they are yep. being read or something. Right. Yep. So anyway, to have a relationship with OCS and, and things be really happening and in a very impactful way for our members. Um, that feels good. Yep. Yep. For sure. 
anyway, well, thank you so much for joining us. Dave. No problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Jay, and, do you yeah. have any, any closing remarks? Oh yeah. You know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to echo Eva, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on board with us today <clears throat> and really appreciate you spending time with me when we were in Puerto Rico and uh, getting to visit a little bit. Um, you you made a statement uh, a few minutes ago. You said you felt like uh, all the years that you didn't get to go to the Nader conference that you sort of missed out. Yep. Well, I would kind of re- uh, reciprocate that. I believe after having sit in here listened to you for the last hour, I believe we missed out um, because <laughs> I believe you. you you have a lot to offer this organization, and I uh, was so glad to facilitate um, introducing you to uh, several people there in Puerto Rico, and hope you uh, made some good connections there and. Uh, look forward to seeing you on some committees and uh, or your I think your dream committee was a legislative um, uh, part of what we do with NATO. Yep. And I hope I hope one of these days we get to see you give one of those legislative reports, because I think you'd be good for uh, as far as communicating uh, with with the people on the other side of what we do. We need mm-hmm. we need more. We have some great effective communicators now, but having more people in the arsenal just makes that even better. And. And so glad to see that that you're you're in with us and uh, doing more, and I hope to see you do more. Yeah, uh, I look forward to it. Really do. I did want to uh, ask you a question too. Do you feel like that your ability to um, enhance better technology for your clients is moving a lot faster than the than the agency is uh, allowing you to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the bane of our existence. Yeah. We, um, yeah. you know, we, we always like not a day goes by without somebody, you know, cracking a joke about, oh my God, they're still mailing this or they're still doing it this way or wet signatures. You got to be kidding me. It's 2023 and we're still talking about wet signatures. It's just absurd. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we, we feel like, you know, we want to be a hundred percent digital operation and that's what we are, but we still have to like, you know, have one foot back in the prior, you know century or whatever um because our counterparty is you know that's how they roll currently i think they've made some great strides you know to give them um a little bit of you know credit with the ere and you know we think it would be huge to have earlier access to ere like why not when we submit our rep paperwork you can get somebody's you know ssa file it would save a ton of time calling dds and trying to figure out whether they're t1 or t2 or t16 or concurrent or you know, what medical records DDS was able to get, you could log in and look at it as opposed to, you know, calling and sending faxes and hoping and praying that somebody answers the phone. Um, but yeah, I would say our technology, we jokingly say like, we should just run the whole dang thing. <laughs> we should just run the SSA yeah. technology system because I, I have great confidence in our technology team and what we've been able to develop. And we look at these things like it's probably more complicated, you know, at a massive scale. Um, that we might fully appreciate, appreciate, but, um, you know, it seems like a lot of the things are simple blocking and tackling things that should be able to be handled in, in this day and age with the technology that's, you know, available. widely available. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it is also, frustrating. I think there's a point of frustration. I'm, I know there's a point of frustration, uh, with their executives because, it is a huge agency and nothing happens. Well, it's like turning the Titanic, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but some of their own internal struggles would be completely resolved via Mm -hmm. technology. For sure. I mean, and attrition would get better. And there's a lot of things that I think when you don't work for a government agency, I never worked for a government agency. I've always been in corporate America or working for myself. And these are things we see, right? Yeah. We see, we've, we've watched um, implementation of software solve big issues. Big right? problems. Yeah, for sure. We know that it's a fact. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's it's frustrating from that standpoint to be a partner of theirs and see and see the solution. And you're like trying to will it, you know, you're like, we just get there. And yeah. Do this piece. Just do yeah. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's uh, it's it is frustrating as heck. We have we we have what we call our client portal. It's a uh, allows our clients to log into our own case management system and see the status of their case oh, in real time, nice. and it's available twenty four seven. So they go to my.quickaid.com and they can log in. They can see exactly where their case is. They can see 
They can download PDFs if they want to. They can see what medical records we have on file for them. They can see when we filed the application, when we filed the appeal, what, you know, so they can log in and they can change their address, you know, so we have, um, you know, I think about 80, 85% of our clients currently use our client portal. And I always think like, it wasn't, you know, it it took us a while to develop it, but, and it's cool. We love it. And it allows our, allows us to provide great service to clients. It's fun to look at it like, oh my God, there's 400 clients right now on our portal, you know, looking at their claim statuses. Um, And so I do think it provides better service, but it wasn't that complicated. Like why can't social security have something similar to that? We, you know, we've got a, a technology team that's great, but they've got, I don't even know how many people in their technology department, thousands presumably, and not to mention third-party, you know, service providers that they pay, you know, hundreds of millions, presumably, if not billions of dollars to, and they can't get some basic things right like that to me is just, you know, a little bit uh, frustrating. If you you keep talking, you're going to become a gold sponsor for the Nader conference. um, (laughs) uh, Because I'm I'm sitting here thinking, I want to buy this software. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, uh, we've thought, we've we've thought about that, to be honest with you. I just think like, it's a, um, you know, because we've, built it from the ground up to be social security disability. It's not like legal case management that happens to have a module that, you know, has the dent in it or the AOD in it. We have all of it in it. Well, I'm thinking um, it's, 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 it's just an, an addition to some of the great products we already have. I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't sound like a competition thing at all. It just sounds like a a new way of um, having another uh, uh, piece of, um, machinery in your, you know, your house and yep. Yep. Yeah. Copiers, there's scanners and there's copier scanners and then computers and servers. And you're just one more piece of the puzzle. Sounds like a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, we've thought about it. We just kind of feel like software business is a very, that by the way, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's good. I, I like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But no, we, we've, uh, you know, we've, we'll continue to look at it and, um, it's a possibility at some point in the future, but right now we kind of feel like we want to stick to our knitting and do a good job for our clients and continue to, you know, grind it out every day and and continue to build our core business. And then over time, those things might, you know, um, present themselves as, you know, more significant commercial opportunities. Um, but anyway, we'll see. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you. And I know Eva does coming on the program today and to kind of sum it all up for my part. Um, I just kind of take us all the way back to the beginning of when you first started. It sounded like you didn't actually find Social Security. It sounded like the Social Security disability business found you. I feel the same way about my practice. Um, I was just uh, coming out of one career, going into another, and didn't know what that career was and was introduced to this uh, as an opportunity to help a person. And my very first client actually won their hearing. Uh, So after that, it was like, well, if I can help that person, I can help me more and so it's it's definitely a calling to some degree and and if you don't see it as that you burn out really really quick yep i agree so thankful for the uh, nader um, for being a part of my growth and and getting a chance to meet you if it hadn't been for nader we wouldn't have had that conversation in puerto rico and appreciate you coming on the show today yeah absolutely thanks for having me i enjoyed it and i look forward to seeing everybody soon denver gotta book my flights All right. Talk to you soon, guys. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Take care.